0: Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to uh, Ferro Points uh, Podcast. It's our third episode, uh, and we're uh, happy to uh, uh, we have a special guest today, uh, Joshua Myers. Uh, Joshua is a senior vice president at KeyBank Real Estate Capital. Josh advises clients on structuring of corporate finance credit facilities with a focus in the public REIT and institutional fund sectors of the real estate industry. Joshua has a commercial real estate industry expertise in multifamily, industrial, retail, single-tenant mission critical portfolios, and non-traded REITs. Joshua also has an experience with troubled credits while preserving relationships. The majority of Joshua's client relationships are syndicated to bank market participants, with KeyBank acting as a leader ranger and administrative agent. KeyBank is one of the nation's largest bank-based financial service companies with assets, of approximately 140 billion dollars uh, josh thanks for being with us my pleasure thanks for having me so we were thinking uh, to discuss a little bit a few things that uh, with regards uh, to uh, a global pandemic uh, with real estate and with financial markets uh, so a few things that i thought you know diving right on to, into is uh, uh, maybe um, we can start a little bit with the history uh, relative to today. And when you're, when, when you're thinking, Josh, about the great financial crisis and this uh, crisis, is there any similarities or differences that are really apparent to you uh, in terms of the banking industry uh, and you know, just financial markets as a whole?
1: Yeah, very good question. And, and I think it's a question we've been um, asked a lot lately uh, this year. You know, the great Financial crisis was very much a liquidity crisis, a liquidity in the banking industry, a liquidity in the financial market, and it was very much driven by a real estate bubble and a real uh, estate-driven crisis, both commercial and and residential uh, real estate. Banks were nowhere near as healthy in 08, 09, and leading up to that point as they were in 2019 and 2020, leading up to the pandemic. And the way the crisis presented itself this year. Uh, was very, very different as well. Um, you know, the, the, cri- the COVID crisis was really an external shock to the world economy, not just, um, you know, the U.S. economy, but it came at a time when banks were generally very healthy, much healthier than they were in leading up to 08, 09. You know, in general, banks today or leading up to the COVID crisis were much Better capitalized, nowhere near as leveraged. They had significantly fewer risky loans on their book, and uh, I think a lot of the work that went into repairing the financial services industry post Great Financial Crisis has really um, proven to be beneficial out of this. If 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 you can even think that we're coming out of it yet, I, I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel. However, we're very much still. In COVID crisis mode, but we're going to come out of this um, as a banking industry significantly healthier than we came out of 08, 09 and and probably proven to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. You know, banks have continued to to lend throughout this um, this year. Um, banks are very much flush with deposit. A lot of companies, both in the real estate commercial real estate sector that I know very well, but also across industry classes, banks saw a lot of those customers really draw down on their lines of credit, preserve liquidity and stash most of that liquidity back in in their banks. And so banks were the beneficiaries of significantly higher deposits throughout this year it's starting to trend backwards and and companies are repaying their lines of credit, but we still are seeing, um, banks flush with deposits. And, uh, because of that, um, it's not a liquidity crisis. You know, banks are, uh, able to lend through this, um, they're being smarter than they did prior to the great financial crisis. They're picking their spots differently, but they are very much, um, still open for business and, uh, still very competitive out there to, to provide loans. And banks are willing to uh, provide credit to good uh, to borrowers throughout this, this crisis. So I, I think you're seeing uh, a lot of, uh, of the results of the last 10 years coming out of the great financial crisis really play out. Banks were, were ready for this. We didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, we obviously didn't know that the pandemic was going to be this drastic and, and this bad on the economy, but I think banks were ready for something. They didn't know what. And it's proven to be a very good sign for the banking industry.
0: You know, that's interesting. I think you could also say uh, similar things about the reit industries. At least uh, those sectors, I guess most sectors, even the sectors that have been hit more, uh, like uh, certain subsectors of retail, real estate, uh, you see those uh, big rates are still holding up, uh, most of them. Uh, some of them are you know, really in, in, in bigger problems. But the uh, safety margins that operators and banks have taken have significantly increased. I think everyone are just more calculated, calculated more, just being sober about uh, what they are to do and whatnot. And I, I think what was most apparent to us, at least, is the fact that uh, banks were still making lend, uh, uh, um, they were still lending, and it wasn't a frozen market uh, as it was in the great financial crisis. It, you can say that banks uh, during COVID were lending to anyone. They were not lending to anyone, but they were more most, most selective, not so much opening new relationships. I mean, did you see that as well? I mean, did, were you opening, opening to new relationships or were you playing it uh, uh, safer for the past eight months? Yeah, I mean, I think we went through a, diff- a number of different phases um, in our in
1: our bank as well as, in, as and we watched a lot of other banks kind of do the same thing. Early on in the COVID crisis, March, April, May, we were very much, as I think most banks were very much internally focused, um, kind of portfolio management focused, assessing the risks of our commercial real estate um, lending portfolio. And our, you know, our partners and in other industry sectors across KeyBank were doing the same thing, assessing the risks in their portfolio and and what the likely problems coming out of COVID or coming through COVID were going to be, or trying to predict where um, the issues would arise. As the summer um, kind of stabilized and we hit kind of a bottom in the economy, and and maybe started the economy started to reopen up, we really did see that banks were. Healthier, I think, than than we expected them to be. There, there certainly were pockets where you know we were very much focused about um, future risks and and worried about um, future downfalls. You hit on one retail, um, you know, retail malls and and big box and other retailers, strip centers. Certainly, were not doing terrifically even prior to COVID. Malls, in particular, um, but I think the COVID crisis brought a lot of the trouble in the mall sector forward, you know, probably three, four, five years. And, you, you know, we've now seen some bankruptcies uh, of public REITs in the mall space. We've seen some some uh, some tenants getting taken over by their mall landlords. Um, there's been a lot of shakeup, and I think there will continue to be a lot of shakeup in that sector. Um, hotels uh, obviously saw a drastic decline in their occupancies and their, their room rates and, and things like that. Though we've seen some sectors of the hotel industries uh, industry pick back up during the summer and into the fall, with uh, particularly leisure travel and in self self serve select service uh, hotels more than anything else. Um, obviously, the central business district full service hotels um, are still struggling, as I'm sure you've seen. But coming out of the summer and into the fall, we have seen um, banks starting to lend again. We've seen banks kind of wake up to the fact that they need to still generate new loans and improve upon their existing relationships and, and protect their existing relationships by continuing to lend. And a lot of that was driven by our, our clients. Our good clients were coming to good opportunities to, to lend and, and growth and acquisitions and and things like that, that that um, we could protect ourselves with, with some good structure and we could pick our spots and we could make sure that we were only lending to clients that we felt like were going to come through COVID fairly well. And yes, it, it, it's much harder while there isn't a lot of travel going on and there isn't a lot of prospect type activities and a lot of new meeting um, of new relationships. But I think we've seen at Key and at other banks, um, banks have kept very busy um, this year. And in, in fact, maybe even busier than in years past, because they aren't um, traveling a lot, maintaining their existing client bases, doing the right things by your client is is a good thing for a bank. And keeping your clients, you know, uh, happy and growing and providing good credit for your clients is is uh, what the banking industry is all about. And uh, and I think we've seen that activity really. Really pick up some of the terms and some of the structures are a little bit more conservative or a little bit more expensive, but very much still active um, in in the uh, commercial real estate finance sector today.
0: Yeah, I mean I can see that, and I think that uh, relationship uh, relationships with with clients and and for GPs relationship with lenders have proven itself uh, once again. You know when people think about uh, I guess a CMBS loan or, or balance sheet loan or. Wherever you have a relationship, uh, it sounds uh, you can work out things better when uh, when things don't go uh, the way you want them to go. And we've seen that uh, personally if it's with community bank, regional banks, and a uh, national bank like you guys. It's so important to preserve and maintain that relationship because in the COVID environment, uh, you don't know what you're going to to need. Uh, and if you're not going to be uh, trusted by your uh, bank partner, then that's not good news for uh, a GP, especially if uh, uh, if it doesn't play in the data centers or uh, industrial uh, environment, so, so that's cool. And and Josh, you see that banks are allocating more capital uh, towards data centers and industrial and other sectors that have uh, risen do, uh, during this crisis, or do you still see uh, because the bu- the buckets, I guess, were uh, different uh, different uh, stabilizations during the past 12 months, and now when a bank looks at the next 12 months and and thinks, oh, where do I want to be? Uh, what kind of mortgages or, or lending do I want to own? Uh, I guess the forecast is a little bit different than uh, the past. Yeah, I think that, that's right. You know, we
1: at, at Key, we're, we have a large multifamily um, focus because Freddie and the HUD um, products that we can offer to those clients. So our book, both in, in our institutional group that I'm a part of that lends to public REITs, private REITs, large institutional funds, but also in our in our middle market commercial real estate book are is very much multifamily manufactured housing type focused. But we also have a, a large con- commercial presence as well lending to office and industrial and self-storage and some retail as well. Obviously, there aren't as many places in the retail and hot- Hospitality that we feel as comfortable about these days, but that doesn't mean that we're not looking at some of those opportunities as well. I don't think retail is is going to die. I don't think hospitality is going to die. I think you just have to pick the right sponsors, like you were saying, with the right structures, um, and make sure that you're lending, you know, smartly in in those in those areas. We also have seen through COVID, although we knew it before, that you know structure of our borrower and and structure of our loan matters. We like to in our institutional group, we we like to finance, you know, kind of entity level type financing, with large diversified pools of real estate. We like our sponsors to have a lot of levers they can pull in terms of access to capital and diversification, and we and we like to be able to um, have a lot of avenues to kind of exit those loans if if we ever had to. Like you were saying, you know, if you're a sponsor with one property and a CMBS loan and your your ownership of that property is is disparate ownership, not wholly owned, there's less avenues that you can work that loan out as a lender, but also as the borrower, as the sponsor, if that loan gets into trouble or if that property gets into trouble, there's less you can do to mitigate that risk for your lender as well. And so we, we've we seen that structure really does matter um, coming through COVID and, and it's played out in a lot of different scenarios, the companies that were um, large portfolio hotel companies, for example, had a lot of access to liquidity. They had a lot of access to capital. They could do bonds. They could extend their credit facilities. They could draw upon their unfunded credit facilities and build their liquidity war chest. They could issue equity if they had to. So There there are a lot of ways and a lot of reasons why we like the large diversified pools and, and the large credit facilities because uh, they've proven to be a little safer than your single asset loan. Not to not to mean that we won't do a single asset asset loan. We certainly will, and we do a lot of them, as as do most commercial real estate banks. It's just that we've we've seen um, through the years that we like the structure of the corporate credit facility. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I I see that too. And and um, you know when uh, I remember when we talked about two years ago, uh, uh, Josh, uh, uh, you told me uh, we like to institutionalize our GPs our sponsors. And I'm I'm not sure I understood that fully, but I think today I get a better a better understanding. And I think that strong governance in a in a GP in a sponsor has to do with reducing reducing risks on the long on the long term. If it's uh, you know walking really close to look at your covenants and and reporting and maintaining close relationship uh, with your bank and being able to operate at lower leverage and having openings in your credit facility to deleverage uh, if needed. Those are the kind of things that I think, during the past 10 years, really helped financial industry and, and specifically the uh, the REIT industry. Looking at the industrial REITs operating between 20 to 40 percent uh, leverage, maintaining very uh, uh, strong you know leverage, low leverage, and uh, and and covenants, and that has become something that I think financial markets, investors, you know, much more um, evaluating and, and that changes the way people perceive risk. It's not just about reward, yeah. but during this environment, you have to give some, uh, you know, people really support uh, a lower risk and a steady, steady performance. And, and the other yeah, thing... We, is- I, agree with the,
1: I agree with that, Adir. And, and we like to advise our, our clients of that as well. If you're modeling out a new investment opportunity or you're modeling out a new company, it may look very uh, attractive and the and the least amount of recourse on on your uh, on your your structure of of your new fund or your new company um but sometimes you have to make different choices about the longevity and risk mitigation and some of those soft kind of decisions that may maybe don't show up as well in an IRR or in a multiple end up benefiting you longer term um, if you make those hard decisions to set up the structure of your company from from the beginning, there's a reason why the public REITs operate with lower leverage. It's because they can withstand shocks like a COVID shock much easier than a very highly levered, you know, kind of private owner. They they have a lot of different avenues they can go down and a lot of different options of capital raising in uh, in the market that a lot of those private owners just don't have. There's a reason why they're a safe haven in in the real estate market.
0: I can relate to that, and I think structural uh, trends uh, such as e-commerce have really are the uh, are the winners this uh, of this pandemic, and have really shown opportunities uh, to come up. And thinking about how e-commerce accelerated, uh, and it's just really like five years were really uh, drawn to uh, till today, and you see how the if it's the data centers and if it's the uh, last mile distribution centers or the big bulk distribution centers, specifically uh, a fair point that most of our expertise is in the last mile, uh, we see uh, needs of companies that uh, were not uh, there yesterday. And and for example, if it's brands that are used to work with retailers and now they they're, they have to work with uh, clients. So it's a direct to consumer in micro fulfillment centers and if there's just a, a new demand for new kind of ways uh, to keep up with your clients and clients' experience. And it's all about uh, how can I maintain close relationship uh, with my uh, customers? Uh, and that's, again, part of the e-commerce. I'm not going to be shopping physically, so I have to maintain somehow uh, you know, the way that uh, I want to be closer to my customers. Uh, to my customer when we saw that, especially with Nike pulling out of uh, Amazon a year ago and uh, starting their own uh, supply chain to really be as close as they can and, and fulfill the direct-to-consumer uh, agenda. So I think that's uh, that's interesting. And then if we're moving to the uh, lending side, the libo has really dropped. And I think that surprised everyone. Uh, looking back at uh, loan documents we had when uh, in many uh, uh, many instances, I didn't think anybody thought it happened. Nobody had barely any flaws in. And I think that also created an opportunity for those that were willing and are still willing to make deals that, you know, are pretty balanced in terms of risk-reward. But today, your potential spread Uh, If you can uh, uh, purchase a deal even at the same cap rate and finance at a lower interest rate than you could two years ago, that also brings you some kind of safety margin and it's some kind of reward to those that are willing uh, uh, to risk. So how do you see banks uh, looking at that these days when they're issuing loans in terms of uh, putting on floors or elevating the rate? Do you see some of that uh, decreasing rate really coming back to the borrower? Is it split usually? In the difference, because it's not like rates have dropped two percent, but they did drop somewhat.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like like I said earlier, earlier on in COVID, when when banks started to kind of lend again, and we started to see some. Signs of life in the you know kind of in the summer and early fall really uh, kind of started to see the LIBOR floor um, come back into deals. It was it was something that we saw in the great financial crisis or coming out of the great financial crisis, and then it got negotiated away shortly after after the the health of the economy uh, started to appear again. I think we'll see LIBOR floors come come back. We already have and be be uh, very common. In most deals for some time to come, I think they'll they'll range in terms of how how big they are. But I think we'll see it just given how low LIBOR has become and how and how challenging that is for the banks. They ha- you know banks have to lend at a certain spread, and they and they you know they can't lend at zero or close to zero and make any money. And so you know we will certainly see LIBOR floors stick around for some time. At least that's what I think. And spreads. As you as you know, because because you were in the market prior to COVID with deals, you know spreads on um, an equivalent loan have certainly expanded a little bit um, coming out of COVID. Though I will tell you that there that the banking market is still competitive, and I think that the the spread widening um, may very well be short lived. We're starting to see. Uh, more and more competition out there. and and with more and more banking competition, that means that banks have to accept a little bit lower spread in order to get a deal done. And so we may see that spread widening kind of um, kind of minimize a little bit over over the next several quarters. Um, but but like you said, I think there is still a very good you know difference between cap rates and underlying interest rates. Even though underlying interest rates dropped, I think a lot of cap rates stayed the same or dropped a little bit as well. And so, you know, the commercial real estate market in the U.S. is still a very safe place, I believe, to investors, a safe place for lenders. I think it's still very appetizing um, place to to see good returns, even with rates as low as they are and even with cap rates as they drop. I, I think it's still a good uh, risk return relative to um, some comparable investment opportunities. and I think that's why you see a lot of capital coming in um to the commercial real estate space, you know for u s you know sponsors, but also for folks like yourself bringing foreign capital into the u s. There is a lot of capital out there and it's and it's very much trying to get into. US commercial real estate you can you can put a lot of capital out you can get good returns by u- utilizing a lot of of capital uh, um in your investment and so i think it's it's still a very attractive asset cl- asset class even in a time like covid maybe especially in a time like covid it's It's, uh, you know, we have a lot of our sectors are uh, still very well occupied, the multifamily space, like you said, the industrial space, the data center space. These are sectors of the commercial real estate economy that are faring quite well during COVID, proving to be quite well during COVID. And I think they're still um, gathering quite a lot of uh, of deal attraction from investors of all kinds.
0: Uh, I see uh, also the capital market side. Uh, Many new investors are reallocating uh, their portfolios to have a larger amount in, for example, industrial space and looking at instead of uh, 18 percent allocation out of the real estate portfolio, they're looking to be closer to 30 where uh, multifamily has been the, uh, uh, the darling of their portfolio, the anchor of uh, uh, those uh, alternative asset managers or pension funds in their portfolio. And today we see that industrial is really making that big step, even though the market is about half of the you know, universe of uh, of the multifamily uh, market, it's about 1.8 trillion versus uh, 3.5. So I, I think it's, we're going to be interesting. We're going to see interesting stuff along the way uh, with that regards. And, and, and Josh, maybe to end uh, like two last questions and it's more philosophy uh, thinking. So I'm not going to, hold you to it, (laughs) but uh, when you're assuming your strategy allows it, uh, assuming a sponsor's strategy allows it, and uh, thinking about a long-term fixed rate versus short-term floating, wouldn't you think, isn't it uh, intuitive to fix a floating loan you have today for the next 10 years, if your strategy allows it, and uh, enjoy some of those uh, coupons. So we're probably at a historic low rate. Yeah, it's a good question.
1: Um, answer your question, but I, I will. I will tell you that I. I learned long ago that I don't try to, you know, advise on interest rate trends and try and predict um, where interest rates are going. I think. As a banker, you, you you tend not to want to you know get into that game for your sponsors. Uh, generally, you're right 50% of the time, and you're wrong 50% of the time. So I could only say that even today, as rates are as low as they are, both fixed and floating rates are as low as they are. I don't think that a sponsor ought to change their stratus based on where rates are. You know, if you are a, a value add multifamily sponsor, or like yourself, if you're an industrial you know, small bay, last mile industrial owner, and your strategy is to own your building for three to five years, you have to assess the risk for your investors of entering into, you know, a long term fixed rate mortgage on that property versus, you know, maintaining the flexibility of what a a floating rate, a low floating rate kind of credit facility or or loan on a property might give you. And I don't think Sponsors ought to change their strategy just based on rates where they are or, or where they predict they might go. I think it really just depends on your, your own investor's appetite and your, your own investor's return, her, return um, parameters and horizon for, invest, for, for your investment. And certainly maintaining flexibility is a good thing. But if you're a long term holder, obviously you, know, you can lock in some attractive financing right now for a very long time because the yield curve allows it. And you wouldn't be wrong. And you would probably look back and, and be very thankful that you were able to get the long-term fixed rate that you would. But I don't think that anyone ought to be thinking fixed fix rate for 10 years now at, at all costs, if their strategy is for a, a one or a two-year hold and and they need to exit that, that investment. Mm-hmm. Um, your strategy should always line up with with your financing.
0: That's the, uh, the best answer uh, that I, I would think of is uh, based on what you said is uh, it's always good to have a good mix. (laughs) If you're a long-term player and you want to make sure that uh, your portfolio is stabilized, uh, thinking about a fund manager, it's good to have a good mix because in one hand, if you can fix something, then you can fix your margin. On the other hand, you can't really know what interest rates are going to do. So you shouldn't be really Uh, maybe going all into any direction. And just because you said it's your 50% right or 50% wrong. And and that's what we found outside of doing, uh, really doing a, a mix, you know, to just, from risk management uh, standpoint. A great input. Uh, Josh, uh, last question. What are the most uh, amount of loan requests you're getting on to? What uh, sector?
1: I, I think right now, you know, I don't keep stats on this or our group, I don't think, keep stats on this. But I think for the most part, we're seeing a lot of attractiveness in the industrial space where you all are. A lot of loan requests in the multifamily space. We have a lot of focus there. We're seeing decent ECF and long-term credit tenant lease space, and we're seeing you know a decent amount of activity in uh, both data centers and manufacturer housing as well. Some of some of what I just said could could be where our group tends to focus. But I think those sectors are also very good sectors for the economy as a whole. And so I feel like we're seeing what a lot of other people are seeing. And that's where a lot of sponsors are focused.
0: So, so Josh, that has been uh, extremely interesting uh, for me, even though we get to talk about once every two days. Uh, it's always so uh, interesting. And I'm sure that our, our listeners have enjoyed that as well. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Uh, We'll see you on our next uh, podcast. And our podcasts are available at Spotify and uh, other platforms. So stay tuned. Thank you.